This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. A shameful chapter in Australia's social security system. That's how one judge described RoboDebt, the now-defunct debt recovery scheme that targeted more than 400,000 people on government payments. The consequences of this scheme are stark. People were driven to homelessness. Some even took their own lives. Last year, in response to a class action, the government agreed to a $1.8 billion settlement, repaying or wiping all debts. We'll rise. Welcome to this initial hearing of the RoboDebt Royal Commission. And now, a RoboDebt Royal Commission has heard shocking evidence about how this scheme was created. We've learnt that the government had legal advice said that this whole thing was potentially unlawful well before it was even created, and yet the scheme kept going. And there were a whole bunch of these moments where it could have been stopped, and it wasn't. You were in a position to do something about it as a Deputy Secretary of the relevant department. Yes. That means that you did that with actual knowledge of the consequences of the raising of unlawful debts on a large scale. I took no action. It all looks a bit obvious now, but for five years, no one knew any of this stuff. No one knew whether or not it was legal. Today, Social Affairs and Inequality Editor Luke Enriquez-Gomes on Australia's unlawful robo-debt saga and the people that failed to stop it. It's Wednesday, the 16th of November. So, Luke, the Royal Commission into RoboDebt is underway. Can you just tell me a bit about this Royal Commission and why it was set up in the first place? So the the toll of the government's unlawful pursuit of debts, uh, including through private debt collectors, it really can't be understated. Over the years, I've spoken to people who were affected by this in uh, really damaging ways, and, and sadly that even includes parents who say their uh, children suicided because of the financial pressures of debts they received from Centrelink. Mm. And the, the Royal Commission was called by the Albanese government because um, they wanted to investigate um, the scheme the, the first block of hearings started a fortnight ago and it wrapped up last Friday. And the key questions that have been interrogated are who knew that the scheme was unlawful and what was done with that, that knowledge or information and why did the scheme continue to run until November 2019? So, Luke, can you remind us as to why RoboDebt was unlawful? So I guess to put it simply, the scheme was unlawful because it relied on a a concept called income averaging. And that's where the government uses people's annual income that gets reported to the tax office. um, And they compare that to the fortnightly income that Centrelink recipients have uh, reported to the agency. And they use those calculations to raise a debt if the calculations show that the person has been overpaid. The problem was that, I guess because of the maths there, the debts were often inaccurate um, and the federal court found that they were not validly made. Mm. Right, so let's get into the Royal Commission. Who exactly has spoken in this first block of the Royal Commission hearings? 
I think the the key um, groups have heard from uh, officials from two government departments that were involved in the uh, design and the the running of the robo debt scheme. One of those is the Department of Social Services, who's kind of re- responsible for social policy and social security law. Um, and the other is uh, the Department of Human Services, which is now called Services Australia. Um, and that was responsible for the administration of welfare policy. So that includes, you know, Centrelink. And it was DHS that drove the Centrelink um, debt recovery process. And so we do expect, though, that we'll hear from former ministers later in the process. Mm, these acronyms are a bit confusing, but really people just need to know that DHS and DSS are both government departments responsible in some ways for robo-debt. When did people within these departments start to suspect that this scheme could be unlawful? I think it's fair to say that fairly early on um, there were um, serious concerns among some of the more junior and mid-level advisors within the Department of Social Services. And there was one advisor who said that he felt um, that the idea for what became RoboDebt was unethical. That, that was a guy called Cameron Brown, who was the Director of um, Payment Integrity and Debt Management in the Department of Social Services. Mr Brown, a note or an affirmation? Uh, affirmation, please, Commissioner. He was involved in seeking uh, policy advice and the department and his colleagues also sought legal advice in late 2014. This is when the scheme's kind of just a thought bubble and that legal advice um, warned that the process we talked about earlier, income averaging, could be unlawful. And so the idea there is essentially that the debt uh, collection scheme could only happen if there was a change in legislation in order for it to become legally sound. And given that legal advice that um, Brown and his colleagues had seen, the commissioner asked him uh, what he thought would happen next. That's the, that's the end of the proposal it, in its current form. Uh, it does not accord with the legislation. The legal advice was black and white. It was as definitive as I've ever seen. And the proposal needed to change, needed to substantially change in order to proceed. But it uh, wasn't the end, and the Department of Human Services instead progressed the proposal for the scheme, and despite those serious legal doubts within the Department of Social Services. Right, so we have this legal advice in 2014. RoboDebt was implemented the following year in 2015. Who knew about this advice that RoboDebt may be unlawful, and what did they do about it? So there were some key moments that shed some light on this. I guess one of the most impactful pieces of evidence we heard was from a a person called Serena Wilson. Can you tell the Commission your full name, please? Serena Judith Wilson. Who is the former Department of Social Services Deputy Secretary, basically one of six people second in charge. So she was made aware of the legal advice in early 2015 when the scheme was being designed. And in fact, some of the evidence suggested that she'd requested the advice. But the hearing was told that Wilson, it seems, never passed it on to her boss, Finn Pratt, or at least there was no record that confirmed that she had. And then we later heard at the inquiry that Wilson's former boss, Finn Pratt, insisted that the warnings never reached him as well. Right. So Wilson didn't raise the legal concerns around RoboDebt with her boss, who was the head of the relevant government department. Did she raise this with anyone else? So we also heard that Pratt and Wilson met with Scott Morrison in January 2015, but Wilson didn't raise those concerns with the then minister either. Did you say that to Minister Morrison on the 22nd of January? No. Gregory later asked... 
surely the clearest way to kill it was to commit the advice, both legal and policy, to writing and send it to your own minister. In hindsight, I wish we had. Why didn't she raise this with Morrison in this meeting when she had read this advice that it may be unlawful? Well, the reason that she gave at the Royal Commission was essentially that she felt that there was no need to because the plan, and I guess when I say plan, I mean what became RoboDebt, was not going to involve the income averaging part. I believe, and at the time, I thought we had essentially come to an understanding before the 2015-16 budget that the essential elements of what became the robo-debt scheme and in particular the income smoothing or averaging would not go ahead. Did anyone within either of these departments responsible for robo-debt tell the minister at the time who was Scott Morrison? Well, so we kind of got to that question when Catherine Campbell was asked to appear in front of the commission. So Campbell, um, I, for many people, I think is the bureaucrat most associated with the RoboDebt scheme. Uh, she used to be the secretary of the Department of Human Services um, and when it was being designed, that was her job. And then she was in that role for some time until she was promoted to the secretary of the Department of Social Services, which, as we heard, is also involved in the RoboDebt scheme from another perspective. Mm. So Campbell has faced questions about robo-debt for some time and people who followed it closely will know that she's uh, been at Senate Estimates and can be quite um, assertive in her responses. She'd not wanted to call robo-debt unlawful, instead insisted on calling it uh, legally insufficient. So was it unlawful, Ms Campbell? Senator, we have provided evidence that it was legally insufficient to use income averaging to raise debts as the sole proof point. Right, so she is on the record defending the lawfulness of robo-debt in the past. What did we learn from her at the Royal Commission? So what we learned was that um, Campbell and Morrison um, had a meeting in late 2014 where uh, Morrison had essentially expressed interest in um, what Campbell's department was doing on debt raising. Um, uh, Campbell's the head of DHS at this time. And so after that, Campbell and one of her uh, deputies, Melissa Goatlightly, they worked on uh, what's called an executive minute, which was presented to Morrison and it outlined a whole bunch of potential proposals, uh, including what became the robo-debt scheme. This minute has been secret for some time and it was revealed for the first time at the Royal Commission over the past two weeks. Mm. Crucially, in that minute, which I should emphasize includes details about a a range of proposals, it says that um, the income averaging proposal, the use of ATO data, essentially what became robo-debt, was something that could only happen if, according to the Department of Social Services, there were new laws passed. So in a roundabout way and in kind of, it didn't, wasn't on the front cover of the of the minute, so to speak, but it said in there, this part of what you want to do needs to have uh, new laws introduced in order for it to happen. Is this kind of definitive proof that Morrison was warned about the potential unlawfulness of the scheme quite early on, Luke? Well, it's a big document. There's a lot of different plans in there, but it does show that those legal concerns from the Department of Social Services were put on paper and he did receive that paper. Did Campbell also speak in any great 
detail with Morrison about this crucial question, about the legality of what would become RoboDebt? Well, the thing is, Campbell says that she didn't really have much involvement with this proposal after she handed this paper to Morrison. So short answer is no. But there was an interesting exchange she had with um, Justin Gregory, who's the senior counsel assisting the commission. I accepted that advice and passed it to the minister. As in Scott Morrison. And, and Gregory said... It sounds as though you're also passing responsibility to the minister for what they did with that advice rather than bearing it yourself. No, I am not. Well, it sounded like she was passing responsibility to Morrison rather than bearing it herself, um, and she denied this. So, Luke, it sounds like senior people in government were aware of this early legal advice that RoboDebt may be unlawful, and yet it was allowed to go ahead. As RoboDebt ramps up, this issue was raised time and time again. Can you tell me about that? So I think it's good to point out um, RoboDebt starts in 2015 in July, but really it only properly ramps up in July 2016. And a couple of months after that is when people started getting debt notices and the public controversy really took hold. It was around late 2016, early 2017, that there was this RoboDebt moniker, which was um, coined by grassroots activists, and that prompted um, that controversy prompted the ombudsman, the Commonwealth ombudsman, to investigate. And so during this period, the Department of Social Services wanted, I guess, new legal advice on income averaging, which is the method central to RoboDebt. And that fell to Anne Pulford, a lawyer at DSS. I was a principal uh, lawyer engaged within the legal services area of the Department of Social Services throughout that period. She actually co-authored the internal legal advice from 2014, which cast doubt on the whole RoboDebt scheme. And so she was asked to provide new advice. And according to the evidence at the commission, the response that she provided had a, a range of caveats, but basically gave the green light to the, the same concept that she said might be unlawful only three years earlier. Mm, income averaging. Yeah, so DSS gives that advice to the ombudsman, the 2014 advice and the 2017 advice. And the ombudsman then hands down a report saying that they're you know, raising no questions about the legality of the RoboDebt scheme. So in the midst of this kind of escalating public concern about RoboDebt, the department now has this this ruling, this report that throws kind of cold water over the legal concerns. Were there any other red flags after that, Luke? Yes, yeah, so in 2018, there were a number of people who were challenging their robo-debts in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which reviews Centrelink decisions, and that forced the Department of Social Services to take another look. They um, commissioned external legal advice from uh, law firm Clayton Utes in August 2018. So another round of legal advice, except this time it's done externally. What does it find? So the draft advice was in the words of a, a DSS official who received it, potentially catastrophic. So basically, if the department accepted it, it would have meant the, the end of RoboDebt. Um, but it appears that there was very little action taken on the advice. Um, Pulford sent it to other officials within the department, including some superiors, but she told the commission she had little recollection of what happened after that to the advice. Mm. So she had no record, for example, that the, the draft advice was finalised which 
meant that there was no action that needed to be taken uh, on the department's behalf. Um, and she said this was something that was common if the legal advice didn't uh, represent the, the department's preferred view. And she was grilled about this uh, notion at the inquiry. So what do you do? You get an advice in draft and if it's not favourable, you just leave it that way. And then it never represents anything that you deal with. Is that the approach? Yes, Commissioner. And is that done regularly in the department? It's certainly happened many times that I have seen it, yes. I'm appalled. So the Commissioner, Catherine Holmes, was appalled and she asked another senior lawyer, actually at another point in the hearings, whether this was something that government departments did often. If you've got an advice, even if it's in draft form, it's legal advice, it's come from lawyers, it's paid for. (laughs) It's like a child putting its hands over its eyes and thinking you can't see it to say we don't need to do anything with this, isn't it? Um, I, I agree with you that... Once you've received the advice, there should be action on it regardless of whether it's draft or not. So we saw other instances where people within the department um, failed to act. Serena Wilson, who we heard from earlier, uh, gave some pretty uh, remarkable evidence. Um, She was, I guess, under quite a lot of pressure at at the commission. She says that uh, in 2017 she had uh, realised that the unlawful income averaging method uh, was being used in the RoboDebt scheme and she basically said that she didn't act. At the point that you knew it was unlawful and you knew averaging was being used, you did nothing, correct? You took no step to stop it. I took no step to stop it. You were in a position to do something about it as a Deputy Secretary of the relevant department. Yes. I think it was the first time that a senior public servant had appeared at the commission and was forced to grapple with the fact that they could have acted and stopped what happened. And it was incredibly dramatic, to be honest. That means that you did that with actual knowledge of the consequences of the raising of unlawful debts on a large scale. I took no action. With that knowledge? Yes, I think you're right. She said she felt ashamed, which was quite an incredible thing to tell a Royal Commission. She, you know, she said she felt guilty, basically. Did you at that point say, as a Deputy Secretary, this is unlawful and it is against policy and it needs to stop to someone? No, I didn't. Why not? I find it hard to explain now. What's your best effort? Lack of courage, as I reflect now. My attention and, and this sounds shocking, was on a range of other priorities for government and it was a difficult position to be in and now I'm ashamed and in hindsight I could have spoken up. Why didn't she speak up, Luke? Could she give any clear reason as to why? Well, she alluded to the fact that there was a change in her boss. Uh, Catherine Campbell became her boss and she said... It was a more authoritarian environment. I found it a difficult period. So she just didn't have the courage. Next, was RoboDebt a conspiracy? 
or a stuff up. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. If you're enjoying Full Story, I think you'll really like another podcast we make here at Guardian Australia called Book It In. On Book It In, some of Australia's favourite authors open up about the ideas behind their books in personal and thought-provoking conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. This week, you'll hear Queensland Literary Award winner Siang Lu and Book It In host Jane Lee open up about how movies change the way they think about themselves. Why is it that I'm expending so much energy trying to act white, trying to fit in with white culture, when I have, you know, this heritage and rich culture that is worth embracing, I started to realize, actually, I should be proud of my Chinese heritage. I should learn more about it. Subscribe to Book It In Now on your favorite podcast player, and you can listen to Siang Lu's episode on Thursday. So, Luke, as you've mentioned, many people had a chance to act here, but they didn't. What does this say about the departments that we're talking about? Is this kind of willful ignorance on some of these public servants, or are they covering this up? Uh, it's a good question. There's been a bit of discussion at the Royal Commission about whether or not this was yeah, a stuff-up or a conspiracy. Um, so at one point there was an exchange between Catherine Holmes and Finn Pratt Pratt was uh, insisting that the whole thing was a stuff-up, essentially, not a conspiracy. And Holmes asked, if it, what about a conspiracy to conceal a stuff-up? So what she seems to be saying is that did this all just get lost in between the departments or within the department, or um, did they know, was there a group of people who knew this was unlawful and they worked together to cover their tracks? Or was it a mix of the two where they made a mistake and then tried to cover it up? And Pratt was not willing to accept that his staff had engaged in any kind of conspiracy. Luke, the Royal Commission is set to pick back up in December. What are we expecting to hear from it then? Well, Catherine Campbell will be back. Her evidence will continue. And there's still plenty to to look over uh, what happened while she was head of the Department of Social Services. I think we'll hear more from what was happening uh, in the departments. But we may also potentially hear some something from the political side. At the moment we've heard a lot about what's happening in the public service, but of course the public service only gives advice to government ministers and their staff who then make decisions. Uh, and so I think we'll start to hear more about what was happening uh, in the offices of Maurice Payne and Scott Morrison and Alan Tudge um, and potentially also Christian Porter uh, and Stuart Robert. So those are potentially some things that we'll hear in December. Mm. I think that sounds like it's going to be very illuminating, Luke. That's going to take up a lot of your December. Yeah, I don't think we'll see those ministers or, or at least all of them in December, but we'll get a picture about what was happening there. There's already been a federal court case around this compensation for some, if not all, of the victims of, of robo-debt. What types of consequences could arise from the Royal Commission? What, what could come out of all of this at the end? So one of the people I've been chatting to, Nathan Carney, who wrote a piece for us in The Guardian, he says he wants to see accountability and he's happy that the Royal Commission is is underway and he'd like a, an apology from the, the whole 
political side of it. But I guess he also wants to see a change in the approach of governments and politicians to how we treat people on welfare. Um, so a more supportive rather than punitive system. In saying that, there's also been um, proposals from others for, you know, things like a, an advocate general. Basically, it seemed like there was no one with power who could advocate for people on social security and look at legal questions like this. Um, so that's another thing that has been discussed. And I guess also worth pointing out, a lot of people were quite frustrated with the compensation that came out of the class action. Mark Dreyfus, the Attorney General, was asked, you know, if that's something that the Commission could look at, and he basically said that those were matters for the Commission, so he didn't say it was not possible. Regardless of these kind of concrete outcomes that may come from this Commission in the future, Mm. do you think that these hearings already have provided any sort of closure for people affected by robo-debt? I really think it depends on the person, right? For some people, I'm sure that they feel that this is um, getting giving them some accountability. Madeline Masterton, who was one of the people who um, was involved in the legal challenge against the scheme, she said she hoped that the commission would mean that something like this couldn't happen again. So that's certainly a big part of it. But there are also many people, I think, certainly judging the reaction on social media who will, you know, perhaps never forgive the government for what happened. That was Guardian Australia's social affairs and inequality editor, Luke Enriquez-Gomes. You can read Luke's ongoing coverage of the RoboDebt Royal Commission at theguardian.com. And on the full story page, we've linked to his latest piece titled Conspiracy or Stuff Up? RoboDebt Royal Commission probes how far up the chain of command blame falls. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Miles Herbert and Krishna Lusria. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon. The executive producers of Full Story are Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassy, Miles Mattioni, and me, Laura Murphy Oates. Okay, catch you next time.